When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. football fans welcome to clear eyes full hearts a podcast presentation of cadence 13 in association with black barrel media and ritual productions this is an episode by episode look at the award-winning tv show friday night lights created by peter berg my name is Derek phillips and i play billy riggins on the show and i'm stacy oristano i played mindy collette riggins so our assumption is that you as our listeners have already watched the show but if you haven't Go watch Friday Night Lights. I mean, you can watch it for free on NBC.com or watch it on streaming platforms like uh, Netflix or Peacock TV. There will be spoilers in our podcast, though, so be aware. Also, Derek's just going to keep yelling at you, so be aware of that. I will. Also, uh, every few weeks, we're going to do some audience participation episodes because we want to answer your questions. So here's the deal. You can email us anything that you want to know at Clear eyes, full hearts pod at gmail.com. That is clear eyes, full hearts pod at gmail.com. Email us. Okay, so I'm going to stop yelling now. <laughs> Today, we're talking about season one, episode two, Eyes Wide Open. It was written by Jason Kadams and directed by Jeffrey Reiner. Okay, here's the NBC TV synopsis. In the wake of star quarterback Jason Street's serious injury, pressure mounts for Coach Taylor and the team as second-string quarterback Matt Saracen is unwittingly thrust into the spotlight and tensions build between Tim Riggins and Smash Williams. And, you know, some other, some other stuff happens too, but we'll talk about it. So you ready to go? I'm ready. Let's go. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Okay, y'all, we're going to get into the rewatch a little later in the episode. But before we do, Derek, I want to know in that break between shooting the pilot and then filming episode two, what happened for you? Okay, so the last time we left you guys, the pilot had just been picked up. And when when we say that a show has been picked up, we say that it's been picked up for 13 episodes. That means that we only get 13 episodes. And if we're lucky, the network will reach out and give us a back nine. The back nine means we'll get 22 full episodes of a season. So at this point, the show hasn't been picked up for a full 22 episodes. So anyway, the first time I saw the show, uh, I had just gone down for a meeting uh, it was the start of the second episode, and uh, I bumped into Taylor Kitsch. So we haven't even seen the pilot yet. The pilot hasn't aired. And Kitsch bumps into me, and he goes, hey, dude, have you seen the pilot yet? And I was like, no, I haven't seen it. He's like, you got to watch the pilot. I had a DVD player in my car. Wait, you just happened to have a DVD player in your car? Here's the deal. My dad is like one of these tech 
guys and like he bought this old Mustang and he like tricked it out. I had a DVD oh, player. Oh, I and, like, love a, your Mustang. You remember that I green Mustang? That I miss your green Mustang. Yeah, it had a DVD player in it. <laughs> anyway, this thing was it was the car was beat up. I'm t- I'm not even kidding you. I pulled the DVD player out of the car when I sold it, and I got more money for the DVD player than I did for the actual car. That's how, like, this was like a high-tech DVD player. Anyway, so I'm driving home. As I said in the previous episode, like, I lived in Dallas at the time. So I was in Austin. I'm driving back to Dallas, and I'm like, I'm going to pop this DVD in. Not a smart move. Pause. You're driving and watching a DVD at the same time? No, it started pouring down rain, and I was like, you know what? Like, I couldn't see a foot in front of me. On the side of the and so I'm like, I'm just gonna pull over. Gotcha. I've got this DVD player. I'm gonna pop it in. Sure. So I pop it in and I start watching it. <laughs> and I'm literally on the side of the road in the middle on I-35 in Texas. Yeah. And I watched all 45 minutes or 50 minutes of the pilot. And at the end of it, I'm bawling my eyes out. Literally on the side of the road in a torrential downpour, bawling my eyes out for multiple reasons. Number one, because it was a spectacular pilot. But number two, I'm like. I'm a part of this, man. Aww. I'm a part of this awesome show. And so it was – so when people say, well, when did you know it was good? It was like that's when I knew it was good. I mean I felt like we were doing something special when we did the pilot. But then when I saw it, it was – it blew me away. I, I literally was like, wow, I, I, I can't believe what I'm a part of. You know? That's so interesting because it wouldn't hit the zeitgeist of the world for like another seven, eight weeks I like know. before so people I, could see it on MEC. You had a little you had a little secret for a long, I long did, time. I did, and I felt like I had this hot. Yeah, exactly. I had this secret. I'm like, wait till people see this show. <laughs> and I was, yeah, I was so excited about that. But then from that point, okay, so we've now shot the pilot, and now we're about to shoot the second episode. Peter Berg pulls the whole cast aside, and he says, because Peter Berg's no longer, I mean, he's still attached. He's still an executive producer, but mm-hmm. he's not going to be there every single day to to make sure that things are going the way that they need to. And he pulls the whole cast aside and he goes, hey, I want all of you guys to know this is your show now and you don't let anybody push you around. So from that point on, uh, he actually, you know, throughout the whole entire shooting of the show, he would send Kyle uh, Chandler like different gifts. One of them was like a a six inch, uh, I believe it's called a Kubar knife. I, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but it's a Kubar knife and it would say, don't let anybody push you around on it. Or he bought him a sledgehammer, and on the sledgehammer it said, don't let anybody push you around. I and, did not know this. Yeah. And sometimes he would just send random letters just periodically throughout the shooting of the show that said, don't let anybody push you around. And so, I mean, we kind of had that mentality as actors going into it that nobody pushes us around. This is super interesting to me because I wasn't there for that pep talk with, with Peter Berg, even though I had heard about it, but watching... Mm-hmm. Like sometimes guest directors would come in and maybe they had just come from like a CSI or a procedural or something, but watching them look around and grasp the style of shooting that we were doing, that gift that Pete Berg had given us, and then they entrench and make that their own too. Don't you think he also probably had that same talk with the writer's room too, which is like a lot of responsibility, but he's like, this is your show. Don't let anybody tell you how to make the show. It's yours. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely a very different style than a lot of directors are used to. It's a very different style that a lot of, than a lot of writers are used to. But I think that everyone who signed up to, to work on Friday Night Lights kind of, kind of knew going into it that it was going to be different. Uh, I don't think until you actually got on set, you realized how different it would be. Same thing for actors. You know, as I said, in the pilot, 
in the pilot, my first episode, I was asked to improv the first scene. And I remember it like it was yesterday because I was shirtless and I felt a cold trickle of sweat just run right down the side of my – and I was like – I started shaking because we're not really ever asked to improv stuff as actors, you know, very, very rarely. Uh, and so I'm sitting there going, I'm prepared for the scene that I have memorized, but I'm not prepared to start – Improving. I think I am, am probably most of America. I had this idea that like shooting a TV show is so glamorous and it's stars and makeup, but this, I call it dirty. Like we were dirty. We would be in like our muddy base camp and we'd walk in our cowboy boots to go where we needed to go. And we were all just like covered in dirt all the time, but that's what happens in Texas. That's why it's so real. And that's what happens when you shoot on location. I mean, and that's another thing that we need to talk about is that everything on Friday Night Lights was shot on location. We don't, we never shot in a studio. And when you're in never. a studio, oh man, it's it's like it's air conditioned. You're never sweating. You know, even when it's supposed to be a scene where it's hot outside or whatever, you're in perfect controlled temperature settings. Oh yeah, they spray you with water to give you sweat. Yeah, when Friday Night Lights, the sweat was real, baby. Derek. <laughs> I have a question for you. I famously don't pay attention to this stuff. How were the ratings? So the pilot has now aired, all right? And then the ratings come out. And the ratings are not spectacular. You know what I mean? Let's, and ratings are just <sighs> FYI. It's like the show is not pulling in a, a ton of viewership. But the reviews come out. And here's a review that I picked up recently uh, from the New York Times. The review says, Lord, is Friday Night Lights good? <laughs> In fact, if the season is anything like the pilot, this new drama about high school football could be great. And not just television great, but great in the way of a poem or a painting. Great in the way of art with a single obsessive creator who doesn't have to consult with a committee. I mean, these, these are the kind of reviews that we were getting across the board. Good Lord. Yeah. I mean, to say that a television show is art back then, which, you know, television was always thought of as like a, a lesser medium. Yeah, and especially our dirty little show about... Not about football, but I think a lot of people like to show about football and you're calling it high art. But like, yes, that's why you should watch it. Yeah. I think maybe that's a little bit why viewership was so down because I thought it too. I'm like, it's a show about football. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. That is not. I always used to say it's about as much about football as Grey's Anatomy is about the practice of medicine. But these are some of the struggles that we had in the first season of that show is, as yeah. I said, we're trying to get that back nine. We're trying to get to 22 episodes on that first season. And these are just some of the growing pains. I remember having a discussion with a good buddy of mine, uh, a guy named Kevin Hooks, who was one of the show or a uh, 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 producing director on the show Prison Break. And when I told him what our ratings were, he was like, <laughs> he goes, hey, man, just embrace it and have fun because basically what he was saying is you guys are going to get canceled and we survived all five seasons okay so now we're at the start of the episode we've got basically the african-american church in town then we've got the white church in town and then there's the riggins church the, <laughs> the riggins church that's a truck and a gun yeah, that's that's how I kind of thought of it, you know, is is oh, they're setting up like this is what everyone does on Sunday. Everyone's in church and we're in our own church. You know, uh But here's the thing with all those three churches, you're all talking about Jason Street, which I just find the yeah. like that's the heart of the town. No matter where you are, that's on everybody's mind. Yeah, I mean football is on everybody's mind twenty four seven in Dillon, Texas. You know, no matter yeah, where and you Jason go. Jason Street, no, definitely. I have a question. Yes. I'm I was trying to figure out what the conversation before you and Tim get in the truck is. Is it's like, Hey, Tim, you wanna get in the back of my truck and we can go shoot some stuff? And he goes, Yeah. 
And then that's what happens? You know, I don't, <laughs> I honestly don't know, Stacey. I was so green at this point in time that I didn't want to even ask questions. You know what I mean? But you in hindsight, I'm like- You create your own moment before. No, I, I don't, uh, maybe I did. It was 15 <laughs> years ago. I can't remember much about it. But I do remember being in the back or, or like driving that truck. And this is all I can remember thinking about that day is I'm like, oh man, I've got Taylor in the back who's like one of the stars of the show. I've got a camera operator in the back with Taylor. And I've got a camera operator in the front seat, and I'm on this gravel dirt road driving like 30 miles an hour in a stick shift, a 1983 stick shift. And it's like, I mean, it's not an easy stick to drive either. And like there's gravel uh, ravines on either side of me. And then in front of me, I've got uh, Jeffrey Reiner, who's directing this episode, and all of our crew – and Reiner's going, hey, man, I need you to speed up. You're getting too far away and we're losing sound. We're losing sound. So I'm having to drive fast down this road. And I'm thinking, if I drive this thing into the ditch, I will, number one, I'm going to kill everybody. And number two, I'm never going to work again. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm never going to work again. That's true. Because at this point, I wasn't on contract. I'm just going in episode by episode basis. They're calling me and saying, hey, we need you on Tuesday. And I'm going, okay. Pew. Driving down and, and, and working on this. That's thing. a lot. I don't I don't love driving on camera. It's so much to it's so it's much lot. to worry about. And you're like, I don't want to kill people. I've never been a big fan. Um that let's talk about that truck for a minute too. I know that truck really well. Yeah. Taylor's favorite thing. There would be a couple of scenes like this, I guess it's tiny spoilers, where I would be in the middle and you would be in the passenger seat and mm -hmm. Tim would be driving. And he always had me put my legs a certain way. And I just thought because he needed more room and he was comfortable, but he did it because what he really liked to do is when he would jam that shift into like second, he wanted to hit my knee really hard with it. And it never stopped. He did. You know how many it. arguments I had with him about who got to drive that truck when we were in scenes together? It was a constant argument. He loves driving that truck. But like, I'm like, I want to drive the truck. I'm the older brother. I should get to drive the truck. I can't drive stick. So it was never me. So yeah, when you asked me what my backstory was driving that truck in that first episode, uh -huh. my, my only objective was don't kill anybody today. Don't kill anyone. Sure. Because that's the other thing. People don't realize. Like, you shoot the scene, and then they go, okay, go back to one, which means you're going to start back from where you started from. Mm -hmm. So now i got to put it in reverse and do the whole entire thing backwards. So it's like you drive half a mile, and then you drive backwards half a mile on a gravel road with a ravine on either side. What is Tim shooting at? Is he just shooting? His, his demons. He's shooting at his demons. I don't know. Dove, no, stop. Quail. That was really deep. <laughs> I think he's shooting at his demons. Yes, I don't I know. Love it. Okay, that's enough of that. All right, so here is something very interesting, Stacey. Uh-oh. I'm sure you noticed this because I noticed this. There's an opening credit sequence all of a sudden. I am watching on Netflix, and Netflix gives you that um, skip intro. You skipped the how, intro? How, no, I said Netflix, how dare you? Okay. And also, anybody that does skip the intro, I'm going to come over to your house and force you to watch it because it's brilliant. <laughs> And here's something really cool about this intro. Uh, the guy who composed all the music for Friday Night, Friday Night Lights is a guy named W.G. Snuffy Walden. And you may not know him by name, but the guy's won like multiple Emmys and Grammys and everything else. This guy composed the music for The West Wing, one of Stacey's favorite uh, shows. Uh, the West Maybe Stacey's favorite show. It is. Most of my <laughs> friends know that the music I want played at my funeral is the West Wing suite. It's not the opening <laughs> credits, but he wrote an entire suite of West Wing, and it's so beautiful. All right, all And right. I want you all to cry really hard at my this funeral. This isn't the West Wing podcast, Stacey. Stay on point. Oh, God. Can it be? But he also wrote the theme music for uh, The Drew Carey Show, Roseanne, My So-Called Life, The Wonder Years, 30-something, and also like 99 other shows. That 
it's interesting though that he that he wrote a show that Peter Berg was involved in with 30 something and that Jason Kadams was involved in with my so-called life. So like that he had maybe a little bit of a working relationship with those guys. Yeah. I mean, he also wrote the music for Roswell. Oh, it's also Kadams. And David Hudgens. David Hudgens was a writer on Roswell and also a writer on Friday Night Lights. We keep it in the family here. We're trying to. And so like, it seems to me, and I'm not a music person necessarily, but it seems to me like he was kind of, uh, uh, using some of the the explosions in the sky kind of themes and explosions in the sky is music is a is a band that uh created a lot of the music for Friday night lights. Yeah, and they're also from Austin, so we have another Texas tie in there. Guys, if you're not familiar with Explosions in the Sky, go look them up. If you love our show, you're going to love their stuff, trust me. And here's something else that's really interesting about the uh a little deep dive into some Friday night lights stuff. When the players are slapping the pee in the locker room. Oh, slapping the pee. That sounded really, it doesn't sound like what Slap, I meant. Slapping the pee. Oh, boy. Is that the new name of our podcast, Slapping the Pee, the Friday Night Lights rewatch? Uh, the players slap the pee. You know, it's it's like a ritual thing. Uh, that pee that is up on the wall is still up on the wall in that locker room to this day in the abandoned stadium outside of, right, like, literally right across the street from Austin Airport. Uh, don't go over there, though, because I, I think they are done with people. <laughs> we did. They, trust me, they are. We <laughs> did a, um, a like a reunion a couple years ago with all of us. And we all gathered in the locker room before we went out on the field to meet all the guests. And all of us, when we were walking out, hit the pee on the way out like 10 years after the after the show. All right. So. So now we move over to practice. We're in. We're watching all these guys practice. And here's something uh, that I thought was cool is that Mac McGill, it, this is the first time we meet Mac McGill, who's Blue Deckard. Uh, he's the offensive coordinator for for the Dillon Panthers. Uh, and he's an older guy than Coach Taylor. And if you notice in the pilot, a lot of the coaches, the assistant coaches were younger than Coach Taylor. And a lot of those guys, unfortunately, didn't come back. I, I don't know. I don't know how that all works. But like Mac McGill is now – the face of the he's he's the the one coach that we know. Doesn't it kind of seem like he has probably been at Dylan for years and years and years? Exactly. He's been there. And then this, you know, how old's coach? Probably like 39, 40. This, this young, young buck. kid with this beautiful hair yeah. coming in and taking over my team. You know for a fact that Mac McGill thought this was his job. And they're kind of setting that up. This is what Jason Kadams does yeah. so well. He just kind of throws these people into these situations and you're sitting there going, oh. This is not going to bode well. You know what I mean? This guy wants his job. Yeah. He obviously wanted the job and he got passed up. Okay. Next, we go to Tim Riggins watching game tape. And he just keeps rewatching the Jason Street injury over and over. Oh, this, this killed me. It's not even like he's watching game film to get tips about how to play. He just watches his best friend get paralyzed. Over and over yeah. and over. And this is the first time that we're actually seeing that there's more to Tim Riggins than just this drunk, brooding guy. There, there's a softer side to him. And maybe some sort of guilt, like guilt that I didn't protect him, guilt that it wasn't me who got hurt. Yeah, exactly. There's, just, there's a lot going on in that tiny little quiet scene. Yeah. Uh, okay, so we see Tammy at her book club, and I'm using air quotations around the word book. <laughs> so in this uh, book club meeting, as we're calling it, I really feel like these women just grabbed Tammy and brought them into their group because they want to get in her ear to tell her about football and what she should maybe tell her husband that he's supposed to do. Yeah. I mean, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier, that everyone in this town is just obsessed with football. It's the only thing anyone cares about. Uh, and this will be a recurring theme throughout Friday Night Lights. Everybody's 
Everybody's the coach. Uh, and then we shift over to the Alamo Freeze, which isn't a real place. But I have to tell you, my mom is obsessed with the Alamo Freeze and Friday Night Lights and sends me little pictures of other diners that she thinks looks like the Alamo Freeze. And she desperately wants it to be a real place. So there's a girl, a high school girl crying about Jason Street and Tyra overhears it. And she, oh, the things that Annie can do with just a look, a little side eye over to that girl. And to be fair, I think this might be the first time I'd seen this episode. And I was like, oh no, she's about to get, she's about to give it. Tyra's about to give it to this girl. And she does. Because to be fair, listen, that girl probably is sad. It's a sad thing that happened, but stop making it about yourself right now. And Tyra's like, stop it. Don't do that. Did you notice that Tyra has less jewelry on in this episode? First of all, thank God. <laughs> she's, uh, yeah, she's done a little bit of a, a makeover. Yeah. We appreciate it. So Tim and Tyra are sitting there and uh, it's obvious Tim's had a little bit to drink. Tyra even brings it up and mm-hmm. and he's uh, he's not in a good mood. Uh, and on top of it, I mean, everything that's gone on with Jason Street in the past week. And then he's sitting there and he's listening to Smash basically yap about how Smash is going to take over, you know, uh, is the leader of the team essentially. And on top of it, Smash has the audacity to be sitting in Jason Street's booth. So this pisses There's Tim off. There's something about that that's so disrespectful. Yeah. I, and you don't know it until Riggins says it. But I'm like, oh, that's where he sits, man. Can you tell I'm taking my brother's side in this? But uh, to be fair, I am too. Like, <laughs> they don't know that he's that he's done so yet. Jason Street yeah. can come back in two weeks and be fine. So, like, get out of my seat, bro. Get up. So Riggins gets up and Riggins is like, he's had enough. He gets into it with Smash. Things kind of, you know, they escalate and then it looks like, you know, things are going to be okay. And uh, I can't remember what Smash said. He says, uh, Ugly done look good on you. Yeah. God, here's the thing. Taylor, Taylor Kitsch, who plays Tim Riggins, is so good at that. Just like, it's like quiet internal struggle. And it, and you just like, you know, something's happening and so many things are happening and you walks away and then bam, he smashes the glass and you just see that, that boy, like has the, the capacity to say 80 things with his face at one time. Yeah. I don't think I maybe noticed when we were shooting, but on camera, it's like, there's a, there's a lot of depth there. Yeah. Just a really powerful scene. I mean, this obviously, you know, Tyra's kind of had enough of this crap. She's done with it. She's done with Tim's constant drinking and the fact that he's kind of just, he's just not there. He's not there for her, you know? And this, I think, is what leads to her basically kind of next time we see her, she's making moves on Smash, you know? Here's the thing that I I know about Tyra le- leading on and I sort of where Annie was bringing her, um, Adrian Palicki was bringing her from the beginning. Her main goal is to get out of Dillon, Texas. It's not like she's just looking for a new guy. She wants a way out. Like she's not, she's not going to get picked up by some pro team or a big college. Cause she's not playing football. If you're a girl mm-hmm. in a small town, your options are really limited about how you can get out. And she's always got her eye on that prize of being something bigger. So, yeah, I mean, she's, she basically goes after smash. I think partially because she's pissed off at Tim, but also because, you know, Hey, this is a guy who's probably got a, a good chance of getting out of this place. And this, yeah, like maybe he is the leader of the team. now. Yeah, so. maybe. This is the first time that we get to meet one of my favorite characters of all times on Friday Night Lights. Liz Michael, a.k.a. Karina Williams, a.k.a. Mama Smash, a.k.a. Smash Mama, depending on how you want to say it. And, you know, I was talking to Liz the other day and we were talking about this specific line where she walks in and she says, I work at Planned Parenthood. You probably haven't seen the last of me, which I'm just the minute she comes on screen. So good. There's just something really just like it, it just pops. And that's uh, 
That's just a credit to Liz Michael. So I first met Liz Michael when I was, I think I was 20 or 21 years old. Mm -hmm. I had just graduated from college in London and I came back to Texas and my dad was like, you have to come see this musical with me. And so I went and it was a musical. I think it was called The Ballad of Bessie Smith. And Liz Michael was playing this famous blues singer, Bessie Smith. You guys, if you have not heard Liz Michael sing, it's going to change your life. So after you listen to the episode, Google something. She changed my life. I was sobbing. I went up and hugged her. She and my dad have known each other forever. I had never met her. Like went up and hugged her afterwards. And I just have, I, I, I so completely fall in love. She's like probably six one. She's incredibly tall, Mm -hmm. but like all of that is filled up with just the biggest, she's so full of warmth and, and love. I have one more, I have one more small story because I love Liz Michael so much. My younger brother is handicapped. He has Down syndrome and autism. He's not very good with new people. Um, I was doing a show at a theater and Liz Michael was doing her cabaret show in France. It was just her singing with like a band. And my brother like walked over and was mesmerized and he sat down right in front and just watched Liz do her whole set. And after it was done, my brother ran up to her and gave her a big hug, which he does not do. And she picked him up and she was like, oh, thank you so much, sweetheart. <laughs> and I was sobbing, but that's who Liz You're gonna Michael You're going to make me is. cry. I, uh, I love her. I love her so much. She's awesome. She's awesome. She's even better as a person. I mean, that's one of the blessings that all of us had on this show. Like just, ah, good people all the way across the board. And you just brought up that story about Liz. And this is, in my opinion, as good a time as any to talk about uh, all the amazing guest stars on this show. Luann Stevens, who plays Grandma Saracen. Liz Michael, once again, who plays Mama Smash. Uh, Brad Leland, who plays Buddy Garrity. You, Stacey Orstano, who plays Mindy Collette Riggins, uh, Catherine Willis, who plays Street's mom, Mark Nutter, who plays Street's father, Blue Deckard, who plays Mac McGill. And you, Derek, add yourself to that list. I'll add myself to the list, myself. Uh, all these wonderful, uh, amazing actors that just add this, this, this Texas flavor to the show. Yeah, because these are all the ones that you named are actors that were hired in Texas. And I think that's just why the show feels so authentic. Authentically, Texas. Yeah. So the next thing we see is Coach visit Street in the hospital. Your story just now made me cry. Oh, God. This, this scene right here makes oh, me God. cry. Oh, <sighs> God. The scene is very quintessentially Jason Kadams to me. The way that the way that he writes and he gets right to like the the grit of it and he's gonna get inside your heart and pull your heartstrings. Yeah, you know, and so Coach is talking to, to Street about uh Saracen and they have these, you know, like Street's got a lot of no matter where Street is, he's always trying to help out the team. He's always trying to help out Coach. You know, no matter what predicament he's going through in his life, no matter what's going on in his life, he's still looking out for everybody else. And that's just, you know, one of the wonderful things about Jason Street. Uh, So, Coach, this is the thing. This one line gets to me every single time. Street looks up at him at one point and he says, I'm sorry if I let you down. I'm going to start crying again. I know. He's still – remember he apologized or or he was apologizing on the field. He said thank you to the paramedics who strapped him in. And now he's apologizing for being hurt to Coach. And Kyle's going, son, you didn't let me down. You know, I'm – Every he also, time. he said, you're to Jason, he said, you're a good man. He didn't even call him a boy or young. He said, you're a good man. Yeah. You're what makes guys like me want to coach. Are you kidding me? Sobbing. And then cut to, you know, bow, 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 explosions in the sky coming in, me bawling my eyes out. This is You just know a, it's going to come there. You're like just waiting always. for that guitar string. It's like a Pavlov's dog. Whenever I hear that, I start bawling my eyes out. 
Um, but yeah, I, I mean, it, once again, I think we may have discussed this in the first episode, but Street's just got a maturity beyond his years. There's another thing that speaking of the hospital, when Lila comes in um, more towards the top of the episode and she has mm-hmm. just taken charge of that hospital. She walks in, the people oh, know her yeah. name. She goes to the room. She grabs some intern out of there to help put up stuff. And she's asking my David, I'm like, oh, she has taken over this place. She has got <laughs> plans. 100%. Yeah. Lila and, and the rest of the town, they still think that he's going to walk again, that things are, are going to go back to being just like they were, you know? I would think I, w- I would probably be in the same boat. Like, there's no way anything that bad happens in our little town. He'll be fine. He'll be hurt. He'll sit out maybe a season, maybe, and then he'll be back. But everybody in this town seems to think, everybody except for Billy Riggins, mind you. Yeah, you're the naysayer. You know, I guess if you're complaining about everything 24-7, eventually you'll be right about something. And yeah, Billy says right off mm-hmm. the bat, like, he ain't ever going to walk again. Broken clocks work twice a day. That's you. That's me. That's <laughs> Okay, so I figure at the same time on the other side of town, we have Landry talking to Saracen, who I guess he knows he has to go do an interview, telling him that, uh, what, he's not red hot chili peppers and he's going to be whatever. Here, I need to give a shout out to Jesse Plemons. You'll you'll notice this more as the season goes on. Jesse Plemons is the king of what I call snacking. It's acting while you're eating. That boy always has like nuts or something that he's going to do. And I call him second, the second king of snacking, second only to Brad Pitt, who is the king of snacking. Kyle Chandler's pretty good at it too. He likes to do that thing where you like roll the sunflower seeds in your hand. It's like a little bit of action and then you pop them in your mouth. Yeah. Got a lot of snacking on the show. (laughs) Kyle's one of those guys though, like if he ever had to eat in a scene, he would eat in between takes too. Like most of us, it's like, I would spit out the food that I had to eat nine times out of 10 because it's like, you just get full. So back to Landry and Saracen. You know, uh, Landry's telling him you got to be weirder, the weirder, the better. And and the whole, all of this is coming from Landry's desire to, to, to be popular, to, to fit in, to... Yeah, ride, the, ride those QB1 coattails. Exactly. Yeah. He's riding Saracen's coattails because, you know, as, as long as Saracen's moving up the uh, the totem pole of popularity, Landry can come along with him. You know, and Landry's always talking about that he's a musician. He's a musician. Mm-hmm. I'm like, mm, I haven't seen you do anything yet, Landry. But he's saying like it's like comparing me to uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers. I'm not Red Hot Chili Peppers. And then I love that Saracen takes that into the interview and just says the exact same thing that Landry said, and it makes no sense. But then he he asks the interviewer, asking, "So, okay, if Jason was Red Hot Chili Peppers, who are you?" And Match goes, "Who am I?" Yeah. Who am I? And it's like he's almost asking himself, like, oh, oh, God, who am I now that this is happening to me? Yeah. It's another wonderfully acted scene by uh, Zach Guilford and Jesse Plemons. Always bring it. Those guys are, they're, they're, they bring a little levity to the show, you know? Oh, I love their little, their little comic duo of, of Landry Yeah, and they work really, really well with each other. God bless It's them. fun. Every time they, they pop up in an episode, it's like, you know, it's going to be some comedy gold. Here's a moment that just irks me. This is something that really pisses me off about this scene. It's something that pisses me off about Kyle Chandler that he does on a regular basis. Oh, we're about to get some tea. Yeah, this is this is this is it. He takes his hat off, and his hair is perfect. It's always per. It's so annoying. You know how annoying. I actually said that to his wife one time. We I said, 
I, I, and I said it the same way I just said it to you guys. I said, you know what pisses me off about your husband? And she looked at me like, what? what? Mm-hmm. And I said, when he takes his hat off, his hair is perfect. And she looked at me and she goes, well, you have a hat on right now. Take yours off. And I go, you don't want to see. And she goes, Derek, no. it can't be that bad. And I took my hat off and she goes, oh, wow. Yeah, put your hat back on. So yeah, yeah. stupid Kyle Chandler with his stupid perfect hair. But this is a very important scene here. Applebee's? Yeah. Explain. You don't know what happens in this scene? What happens in this scene, Stacy? I'm going to tell you. I, <laughs> I know you watched it, but... Um, so they go to they go to uh, Applebee's, Tammy and, and Coach, and they're you know kind of kind of reminiscing about what their day was, talking about what was going on, and uh, Tammy kind of drops a big bomb on, uh, on on Coach. Yeah, she's like good news or bad news. Yeah, she's going to be a guidance counselor at the school. At the same school. At the school, to which Kyle says, I think he says, uh, guidance counselors can be a nuisance. I mean, we're going to interact. You know, which is a uh, yeah. Did not did not seem like Coach was super happy with no, this idea. He's, Didn't he's say not. no. But this is another one of those things, guys. Remember, we were talking earlier about Jason Kadem's kind of creating these moments that automatically, just by their very nature, create tension. And this is one of those moments. Uh, but then, in the middle of that conversation, we also Coach gets a phone call, and we find out right then and there that Jason Street is one is officially paralyzed. Now that we know that Street is done, like this guy's got the world on his shoulders. I mean, Street was essentially his his meal ticket. Yeah. And uh, Tammy comes to his office late at night. You know, he's burning the midnight oil and Tammy's in there. And I, I just remember thinking in this scene, you know, she she's building him up and saying, hey, you got this. You can do this. I've seen you do it before. Mm-hmm. And it made me think, I need a Tammy in my life. I need someone like that. Oh, listen. Yeah. I want a Tammy in my life too. I think we all need a Tammy, like right? We all need our yeah. we all need a Tammy. We all need someone to tell us, hey, you got this and I have confidence in you. you but know? I think he says he says to Tammy too, he's like Matt's he's not Matt's not ready for this. He's not. There's yeah. This this isn't gonna work. He doesn't so have enough time he... with him, you know drives to Matt's house. Yeah. He drives over to Matt's house. One of the beautiful moments in this is you can see the the embarrassment on Matt's face. You know what I mean? The minute he looks out that window and sees it's him pulling up, yeah, he doesn't. It's this... He tells grandma to go in her room. Yeah. Maddie. And then the juxtaposition, he's embarrassed about it, but Grandma Sarah is, is she's so proud to have the coach at her house. So she's mm-hmm. like pulling out Danishes or whatever. The juxtaposition of what Matt is feeling and what Grandma's feeling and her being proud of her boy. There's also this one sweeping moment. Um, coach walks into the house and he's looking around and you get a glimpse of a picture. And it's a picture of a man in mm-hmm. camo fatigues holding up a sign that says, go Panthers, go. And yep. that's all you get in that quick yep. moment. And, and I mean, little subtle things like, I mean, the, the, I think she offers him a pie or a cake or a Danish or whatever it is, but it's mm-hmm. like, it's store-bought, you know what I mean? It's, uh, and it's just these little subtle moments that it, it says middle America, you know? But you're right in the car. Guess what Kyle's doing? Wolfing that, that thing cake. down. Like he hadn't eaten all day. Just fist full of cake. And Matt's yeah. sort of looking at him like, really? Pissing off sound guys by mumbling through words. Yeah, that's what he's doing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, then this is this is my my favorite my favorite oh, coach and Matt on the field. It's completely empty, just the two of them. First of all, you get a sense of how big the stadium is when it's just those two little bodies on the fifty yard line. Yeah, coach coach is basically pumping them up, and he says, "Hey, if your teammates hear you, they will believe in you." And I'm crying again. 
He's coaching them up. He starts calling out the players. I can't hear you. I can't the hear you. And then swelling, you just you know. see the confidence take over Saracen saying, what's your name? Who are you? How do you play? Just goosebumps. It's all the elements uh, of film coming together. I mean, it's brilliantly acted by Kyle Chandler and uh, Zach Guilford. And, and then on top of it, you know, we've got this music coming in, just swelling. It's br brilliantly edited and all these things. This is... When people say what made Friday Night Lights or how did Friday Night Lights work or what made it work, yeah. it's all those elements. It's not one thing. For people that are outside of this business, it is lightning in a bottle for all these elements to come together and for all of it to just work cohesively. And when it does, that's when something, you know, rings true or it hits you in the gut. You know, and this is one of those moments in, in this show uh, and throughout this show. There's so many moments like this. But, man, it's just one of those where every time I watch it, I just start to cry. You know? It's also just Coach Taylor being so good at his job and yeah. knowing that he he had spent his career building up Jason Street. He can't do that anymore. He's going to now transfer that into this other guy that he yeah. needs to build up to be the next Jason Street. He's just good at his job and he's also yeah. just a good person. And we got that, you know, inspiring moment. And then we go right into Buddy Garrity. God bless. Who just takes a big, huge... Dylan-sized crap, Texas-sized turd all over it. Don't you think we needed a little comic relief break right there? I was I was excited to breathe for a minute and be like, oh, God, thank God. Yeah, it, I mean, <sighs> we need it, but it's also, I mean, it, it, here's something really interesting, too, because we had discussed this in the, in the pilot episode, that uh, the pilot basically just paints these, these characters with a very broad brush. Mm -hmm. We know who they are to a certain degree. But in the pilot, we don't know who Buddy Garrity is. All we know is that he's Lila's dad. He doesn't come across as being a jerk or anything. Mm -mm. And then in this second episode, man, we have established exactly who Buddy Garrity is. But I, I just, I can't tell you how much I love Brad Leland and how much I love watching Brad Leland work. Yes. Uh, but he has this line. Where, I mean, he basically just tells Coach, you got to win. You have to win. If you don't win, you're going to be out on your ass. But he goes, hey, Okay, but Derek. Always friends. Derek, do it. Goes, do it like Buddy. Say it. But hey. Always friends, right, Eric? Always friends. <laughs> you guys, you guys, listeners, you're gonna get to you're gonna get to know this as we go on. Derek is first of all a, a master of impressions, but nothing beats his buddy Garrity impression. It is dead on friends. Also, I can tell right now, even just from watching two episodes, that my Texas accent is coming back a little bit. Yeah, I'm getting a little twangy. I'm getting a little twangy here, having these conversations about here, Texas. Uh, that's not even close to a it's Texas close action, it's close you're getting it it's been a while it'll take me a little bit it'll take me a little bit it'll get there guys just know you have that to look forward to <laughs> but yeah i mean right after this buddy garrity scene we <laughs> uh and i mean he's got a plaque on his wall it's like number one booster or something like that but i mean we're starting to see who buddy garrity is mm -hmm. but you know th there's also something really interesting about this scene too is that when i go back and watch it now i'm like you know he's kind of right this town needs football because it, it's basically like, Eric, listen here, man. When when people when we're winning, the town is happy. When the town is happy, the town is spending money. And when they're spending money, I'm selling cars <laughs> and everybody's doing just fine, right? There it is, Dave. It, it'll get it'll get there. I promise you. By the end, it'll be back. Uh, mm -hmm. But we move right into the Devil uh, Devil Town music playing. Okay, he, I did not know that Devil Town came in this. Early. I, I love the song Devil Town. Yeah, it's great. And I remember it came in like we had a parade at the end of the first season. I remember that, but I did not remember this being in the second episode. 
but apparently it, it is. Did not. And it's a it's a brilliantly cut scene. Mm-hmm. Once again, another one of those m- moments where you've got the the culmination of of acting meets music meets editing. So now we get to see all these different parts of the town. And if you remember correctly in the pilot episode, I said the twelfth man, the twelfth man is Texas. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing it right now. You know, you get all these beautiful little shots of of uh, uh, downtown Dillon, you know, or Dillon mm-hmm. just being shut down, closed for the game. But it looks a little bit lonely and sad. And you're like, where are the people? Yeah. Oh, wait, they're all in one place because it's Friday night. That's right, baby. Friday night lights. It is Friday in Dillon, Texas. Yeah, so Coach gives another amazing pep talk. Uh we got our clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. All the players are hyped up. Everyone's leaving the locker room. Slapping the pee, slapping the pee. Slapping the pee. And then there's Matt. And he's stuck there. He just stays behind. Yeah, deer in the headlights. And coach says to him, he goes, let me ask you something. Last Friday when you threw that pass, that that winning pass, did you close your eyes? And Saracen looks at him and a little grin kind of comes across his face. And he says, no, sir. My eyes were wide open, sir. My eyes were wide open. And once again... Even talking about it right now, I got goosebumps. I think that's the first time we've seen a Matt Saracen, not a smile, but a smirk. And yeah. it was a smirk of a tiny bit of confidence yeah. that I loved. And here's here's the thing I love about the ending of this episode. We don't see the football game. But guess yeah. what? That's not what the story's about. I wonder if people were maybe a little upset. They're like, wait, I want to see how Saracen plays. But no, this story was about getting to the game. Yeah. The people and the families and the relationships yeah. that get there and that's what Friday Night Lights is. I loved that it ended right there. I thought it was so perfect. Yeah. But it also says to the audience, hey, this isn't a show about football. Like, if you're sticking around with us after this second episode, it's because you're into these characters. We're invested in these characters. I loved it. And while football is a major backdrop to this show, it's the backdrop. It's not the focal point. So I have some thoughts about the title of the show being Eyes Wide Open. Yeah. I don't know how deep the um, the the writer the writers were into it, but obviously Saracen says it when he asks him if his eyes were open for the shot. But I also think about Coach's eyes are open now to the fact that he doesn't have Jason Street and he has to look to this new kid. Hmm. Jason Street's eyes are open now after surgery. Yeah. And like Tyra's eyes are open into what's going to get her outside of this city. I feel like it speaks to so many more things than just what Saracen says, yeah. but I love I love this show and it's only episode two. Kyle Chandler used to always say, there's two people in the world, those who haven't seen Friday Night Lights and those who love it. I love it. <laughs> okay, y'all, that's it for episode two. No, that's not quite it for episode two, Stacey. You promised these people oh, you're going to tell them who the guest star was next week and now you're just going to lie to them? Okay, wait, listen, when you're right, you're right. Derek's right. Okay, so the guest star for next week, actually, you know what? I'm just going to let her tell you with her own words. I'm Adrienne Palicki, and I play Tyra Collette. That's right, everybody. Our guest next week is going to be Adrienne Palicki. We're so excited to have her on the show, but until then, clear eyes, full hearts, can't can't lose. Clear Eyes, Full Hearts is a podcast presentation of Cadence 13 in association with Black Barrel Media and Ritual Productions. Executive producers are Stacey Oristano and Derek Phillips, Chris and Mandy Wimmer for Black Barrel Media and Steve Walters for Ritual Productions. Our producer is Mandy Wimmer. Send your questions to clearEyesFullHeartsPod at gmail.com. And find us on social media. I'm at Stacey Oristano on Twitter and Instagram. And I'm at Derek Phillips on Twitter and underscore Derek Phillips on Instagram. And check out our websites. Cadence13.com and BlackBarrelMedia.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you guys next week.